we are now going to talk some motorsport. And why not? Liam Lawson, this up-and-coming driver, hopes of driving in Formula One, becomes the first driver in the modern era of Super Formula to win on his debut. The modern era is from 1996 onwards. He did this in Japan, in Mount Fuji. To talk about this and just give us a little bit of a update on all things motorsport, David Turner joins us on the program. David, good afternoon. Welcome. Yeah, good afternoon, Mark, and uh, happy Easter to everybody as well. Uh, David, just give us a little bit of a background on Liam Lawson, the path that he's come through and how he's got to where he's got. Well, he's been a, a Red Bull um, graduate, if you like, for quite some time now through the, the early categories in Europe, Formula 3 and, and Formula 2, and, and shone there and got their attention, did a bit of the German Touring Car Series as well, and, um, and now he finds himself uh, in Super Formula in, in Japan, which Nick Cassidy, another New Zealander, has been through and has done extremely well there. Um, Nick's one of those drivers that's a little bit... Uh, under the radar at times, and he did a great job in Japan, and I think that Liam will um, will follow in those footsteps very well. And it was a great start to his weekend with a a win, and then a, a fifth in the second race, which you know has left him second in the championship after the first round. So, you know, it's it's all good. Um, he's a, a young driver that is very much on the radar of Red Bull, and uh, and that's a good place to be. And he is controlling what I refer to as he's controlling the controllables, which is when he's in the car, he's doing the best he can. And we've seen the results of that this weekend. And the uncontrollable aspects um, will do whatever they do. And, you know, if his destiny is Formula One, then, um, you know, it, it will play itself out. But if he continues to do the controllable things like he, he has done this weekend, then, um, you know, the, the rest of it is in, in the land of the fate, shall we call it. What is the fundamental difference between a super Formula car and a Formula One car? Um, the super Formula car is probably closer to a Formula Two car in the sense of, um, you know, physical size and horsepower and, and that sort of thing. And then obviously the technology in a Formula One car, you know, surpasses um, pretty much everything that there is out there. So, Formula One cars very high tech, as we well know, with all its, you know, hybrid technology and, and engineering and all those other aspects. But you know, Red Bull were very keen for Liam to be in um, in Japan, and I think that that's a good place for him to be. There was nothing else to be proved in Europe by doing another season in, in F2, because you know, when you go back and do seasons, and we've talked about this with other drivers, you know, you go back and do a championship multiple times you can only make yourself look bad because you've already set your benchmark. So by being in Super Formula, you know, he's in a different country, different type of racetrack, different type of car. And I'm sure probably in the background, Red Bull are evaluating mm. all of that and going, okay, this kid's still got it. He's still on our radar, you know. So um, very smart positioning of him. Uh, it's a very competitive championship. Um, so let's not underestimate that just because it's not in Europe. Mm. It is a very, very competitive championship. Japanese take, you know, motorsport extremely seriously. And, um, you know, there's there's a lot of drivers that have gone and done um, Super Formula. Alex Palau, that won the IndyCar Championship a couple of years ago as a graduate of Super Formula. You know, so there's a great example of a driver that went from Europe to Japan, 
and then ultimately ended up in IndyCar and won the championship mm. in the second year. Now, is it only raced in Japan? I know it's considered to be the top-level single-seater competition in Japan and regional motorsports in Asia, but is it only is the series only staged in Japan? Yeah, it's pretty much an Asian series, but you know, it's been around for long enough that it doesn't need to it doesn't need to be on a global stage. It's, it's on a global stage in its own right. So, um, and again, the competitive nature of it, the teams that are involved in it, the drivers that are being placed there, you know, they're all, none of them are slouches. So they're all there for a reason. So it's not like you're turning up to some second tier, you know, category or anything like that. It's still a, a real deal. And it's a pathway, you know, and a progression path. And, and that's where Liam is at the moment. And as I said, if he can control the controllable factors, and that's the very best that um, people could ever ask of him and the very best that he can do within himself. And then the rest of the things, mm. you know, happen however they may happen. Mm. Okay, so what's the pathway for him now? So he sticks at this super formula in Japan. Um, I know yep. that he's the reserve driver this year in F1 for Red Bull. Um, yep. how, how patient does he need to be? Uh, probably extremely. <laughs> I know that sounds flippant, but he does because it's a house of cards scenario again because Red Bull also have Daniel Ricciardo on their books yet again. Um, so, you know, there's some pedigree there as well. I think the, the best scenario and, you know, sport, any given sport is dual die at times, is that um, maybe Yuki Tsunoda at um, Alpha Tori, which is the sister team to Red Bull in Formula One, doesn't necessarily perform um, as well as could be expected. I'm not saying that that is the case. I'm just looking at a scenario, and uh, and that could potentially open up a door for Liam that way, uh, rather than the you know the, the main team. But why he's the reserve driver for the main team? He's been immersed in you know engineering debriefs and and all of those sort of things, and probably will get to run another you know Friday practice session somewhere along the, the line as well, either in you know Perez's car or Verstappen's car. So yeah, he's in he's in a very good place, Mark. Um, but it's that same scenario. There's only 20-odd seats in Formula 1, so in this case, being a Red Bull driver, he's got an option of four, but of that, those four drivers also like staying where they are, so you've got to have some things play into your hands, and as I said, that's the uncontrollables that he can't control, but if he carries on winning races in Super Formula, you know, people are going to be going, we need this boy on our box, you know, so it's it's very positive indeed, mm. very, very positive, and good talent. He's a, he's a good kid. Red Bull, is that because of the corporate backing, because of the energy drink, are they more likely to pick up a driver based on talent rather than just a good driver who's going to bring a lot of money to the table? Yeah. You know, they're, they're a ruthless machine uh, and, and it's well documented. Um, but, you know, they have the ability to find good talent. So... You know, no one ever said it, it was necessarily easy. So he, you know, he gets there as a result of being talented and Red Bull are very aware of them. And, you know, and it's a strategic, strategic thing too. They've signed him up to make sure no one else can get him. A, a bit like a, a young Lewis Hamilton, you know, when he was, you know, uh, under the age of 13, I think it was, that Ron Dennis signed him for McLaren, you know, and he was still racing go-karts and things at that stage. But, you know, Ron made damn sure that no one else was going to get their paws on, on the, what he thought was going to be, you know, a world champion one day in Lewis Hamilton. And, you know, sure enough, he was right. So, you know, there's multiple drivers that go through the Red Bull Academy. Um, Brendan Hartley, the New Zealander, has been through it. 
um, and then, you know, um, was released from his contracts uh, with that and, and has gone on to do amazing things with both Porsche and Toyota and World Endurance Racing, winning Le Mans multiple times. Um, you know, Brendan's a star in his own right. So the the Red Bull, just like a Ferrari Academy and Mercedes-Benz Academy, they're all progression paths, uh, and it's just the direction you take with any given team in that sense. But, you know, Red Bull's certainly... Um, well, well known for being ruthless, uh, and you have to perform to survive. But Liam's doing exactly that, so you know we can tick that box. That's for sure. Let's just change it up while we've got you here. Uh, this weekend, we get back underway with the IndyCar series, Long Beach, yep. and then two weeks after that, they're in Alabama, and then of course we yep. start the countdown to the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. So let's just talk a little bit about Long Beach, uh, the type of circuit that it is and what we can expect from our three drivers? Well, Long Beach is a great track. I've been there several times. I really like it. Um, I have to say that one of the things that I always remember about Long Beach, which is kind of bad because it's not racing, is they have these amazing food trucks there. There's some really good food trucks there. So um, you're never going to starve at Long Beach, that's for sure. But um, great facility, got a lot of history, obviously, because it used to host a Formula One Grand Prix uh, many, many moons ago. Um, I actually saw a, a very young Paul Radisich race there in what was called Super V at the time, uh, which was a precursor to Formula Atlantic, which was a precursor to Toyota Racing Series that we see now. So, um, yeah, I, I like Long Beach. It's not necessarily the easiest track for a spectator. Along the main part, Shoreline Drive is, is pretty good. Um, but it's, you know, it has an amazing entertainment. They have drifting at night time, you know, like bang for buck. It's a, it's a great event. There is a lot of on-track action, um, typical Southern Californian uh, weather in most cases, and, uh, you know, an all-round good facility. So for, for our three drivers, um, obviously two of them have been there before. Marcus Armstrong's not been there before, back in the car again, you know, for these next couple of rounds. And um, I think that that will be... Uh, another progression for him he's already said that he likes street circuits so it's another street circuit so we'll see how well he goes mclaughlin yeah i think he'll be looking for a little bit of probably redemption after you know the the start at st pete and then in texas but still very much in the game and then dixon sitting third and uh no one can ever rule out um a certain scott dixon when you're third in the championship after two rounds you know he just knows how to play the long game as well but he'll be hungry for a win it is a fuel strategy race a lot of the time, depending on how the cautions fall. Um, and Dixon is obviously a master when it comes to fuel strategy. So, yeah, I think it'll be great. Um, you know, it's, a, it's the start of quite an intensive period for IndyCar because then obviously they're back to Alabama and, and Barber. They've all tested at Barber already this year. It is an amazing facility. I've, I've been there once. It's got this absolutely amazing museum at it as well. Um, really good and, and probably quite a contrast to Long Beach in the sense it's the first permanent circuit and temperatures and weather could be quite a lot different to say what they will be in California and saying that it's still very cold in California so you know who the hell knows and then suddenly it's Indy Grand Prix and then get back to the Oval for the Indy 500. David Turner as always thank you for your time this afternoon on the program greatly appreciated. I know you're most welcome and uh, have a great Easter Mark. There you go David Turner uh, one of the preeminent motor sport aficionados in this country. He's actually heading up to Indy and he's actually putting together a documentary 
on the New Zealand drivers and also those New Zealanders behind the scenes of the various trade teams that make up the IndyCar series. That should be a fascinating insight into uh, just the intellectual property and the driving skills that New Zealand is exporting to the world in one of the biggest series in motorsport. And of course, we will catch up with David Turner in that two-week build-up to the Indianapolis 500. 400,000 people turn up to watch that event. Unbelievable. Considered one of the three motorsport events as part of the Triple Crown, along with Le Mans 24 and the Monaco Grand Prix. 